Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I'm Gael, and today I have Mark with me. How's it going, Mark? Hey, it's going good. Cool. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that we are totally passing the 100,000 downloads of the podcast in June, like early June. So I wanted to thank everyone for downloading all these podcasts. I had no idea it would get that big, especially given the the fact that we're not really focusing on production level. We're more focusing on the content, but it seems to be working with you guys. So thanks for everything. But let's just jump into today's topic, which is the lessons that Mark and I learned from a failed software service company. And to be frank, that was a pretty bad failure. Like we basically made almost no money out of that. And it was pretty bad. So can you just explain what happened, Mark? Yeah. So about, oh, was it like three years ago? The two and a half years? Three and a half years ago, I think it was. This was back when we were still running our agency and, you know, around that time we we kind of knew we wanted to do other things, but I guess we weren't really too sure what. And we had, I think it was around about the same time we'd started Health Ambition for the first time. A little bit after, yeah. Yeah, it was it was very much in its sort of infancy back then. We had this idea to run a software company. A few of our friends had uh, started software companies and one or two had been quite successful with them. And we thought, hey, we could do that too. And so we had this idea. This was actually came out of running the agency and, and all that kind of stuff. We we were having to produce a lot of content. And it was yeah, quite... at the time at the time to give some context, we were producing up to like a thousand guest posts per month plus managing many clients' blogs. So like the amount of content we had to output was crazy, actually. Yeah, it was insane. And there wasn't really any good or at least we weren't using any good solutions at the time, software solutions to manage this. You know, it was a lot of uh, Google Docs and spreadsheets and that kind of stuff, uh, which isn't really ideal once you go beyond a few writers, you know? Yeah, we had one full-time person just to manage that process, not right to manage the process. Yeah, and that that wasn't even enough at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the idea then was, okay, let's build. There's a a need here, clearly. I mean, we we have this need. I'm sure every other agency has this need. How do you get good content at scale? And we, we thought we had a good idea for how to solve that problem by building a piece of software that could help you, you know, manage manage the whole process, recruit people into teams and basically just manage the end-to-end product of content for website and blog. I mean there was various other ideas within there, like having a marketplace and all this kind of stuff. But that was that was sort of the basic concept and we started trying to build that. And two years later, we failed horribly. I mean, I mean, we built the thing. I wouldn't say we built what we imagined, but we built a working prototype which did a lot of the functionality which we had in our heads, and that wasn't necessarily By a the bad way, thing. We should say the company was called Copycog, and some people might know it because we were advertising it at the beginning of Atari Hacker. And so, you know, the product wasn't terrible, or you know, it didn't work. It did actually work. Few people actually even used it for their websites, but we just massively underestimated the sort of market and like didn't really do I mean there's a whole bunch of factors actually to this, yeah but. let's go on to that so the rest of that podcast is going to be why we think we failed and the lesson we learned that helped us 
in turn make successful authority sites, which are essentially the same thing, right? It's just a website that sells products and convince people to spend money based on your content, right? Yeah, I mean, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're very, very similar. And there's so much overlap between this um, that's become very apparent to me recently. So, yeah. Yeah. So... The first lesson that we're going to talk about is something that is counterintuitive to a lot of people is starting from the angle and build your business reverse from that. So a lot of people, you know, first try to think how they can get traffic and then how they can get people to opt into their email list and then start figuring out what they can sell to them. Once they get there, they're like, oh, okay, how much money can I make? And one thing that we've learned is that actually doing the opposite, starting with like, okay, what is the business goal? And you're going to tell us a story in a second, but our goal for us was to make 100K a month, I think, and then try to go that way. And when we figured it out, it didn't work out so well. So can you tell the whole story? Yeah. So, I mean, our goal, I guess our goal in our heads was, yeah, we want to make K or a million a month, something like that. We didn't really have a concrete goal written on the wall say this is our what we want to achieve in this amount of time or anything like that it was more we feel there's a need for this kind of product and again i want to emphasize the word feel there we didn't really do too much research in this but we feel there's a need need for this product here let's build it and then let's make some money by selling it that was generally our approach to it we kind of went for a good two years there we had a bit of issue with developers and stuff but about halfway through a good two years between when we started working on it and then when we really sat down and we're like okay so in order to make a hundred thousand a month how many pieces of content do we need to produce or how many words need to go through here and then we started working backwards from that it's like okay so then how many customers entail and how many writers does that entail we need to explain that we were like selling the content but like it was writers selling the content through the platform so we would only take like 10 to 15 percent of any transaction yeah so to make a hundred thousand dollars, if you only take ten percent, you need to make a million dollars of turnover on your platform. Then, and that's not even taking into account development cost. costs and all this kind of stuff, marketing costs. So when you kind of actually put down the numbers and work out a sort of projected profit and loss, and what do you need to do in order to make X amount of money? Then it's it really like okay this is crazy do so much in order to make this amount of money we were just not as if we needed to sort of ten x or a hundred x what we were doing we needed to like ten thousand x yeah we were doing. making like one or two grand a month at that time yeah and we had to make a hundred k profit as a company it was more like one point three one point four million dollars of like turnovers through the platform there was a problem with the business model and honestly. We should have called that on week two, not year two. So good job. As he said at the start, it's not always intuitive to to kind of work backwards like that. I think most people, when they're starting a business, any business, I mean, we've even made the same mistake with authority sites. It's like, think there's an opportunity here or, you know, even this would be kind of cool to do, don't you think? We could get a lot of traffic in this market. Not really thinking beyond that. Okay, so what does that mean then? If we get this amount of traffic, which products can we sell? How much can we sell those products for? What conversion rates, ranges are we going to get? Okay, what's the minimum and maximum we can make off of this? And when you sort of work backwards from the end goal, like what do you need to do in order to make $10,000 a month? 
or a hundred thousand or whatever. Yeah, how many visits you need, etc. Yeah, you, know. you work it, bring it all backwards, and uh, make a sort of forecast. And again, you're never going to be totally accurate with you know you're never going to know what your conversion rates are, but it's fine. You can have sort of twenty percent, and yeah, you, it's going to be more than zero point one percent. So I mean, usually you can assume like you, you know? can even have like a minimum and a maximum to to like make sure you cover the range. And even then, your projections will be like quite broad. But it's going to give you a much, much clearer idea of is this feasible or is this just a monumental, unrealistic challenge that's never going to work? I mean, work? to run the rational thinking topic, it was like, let's assume we were taking 10%. It was 15, but let's assume we were taking 10% to make it simpler. It was like, oh, okay, to make 100K a month, we need a million dollars through the platform. To make a million dollars, let's assume like, like the average client buys like five articles a month at like 40 bucks. Uh, so it's like five times four. It's like there's 200 bucks spent, right? So 200 bucks divided a million dollars divided at 200 bucks. It's like 5,000 clients. Now imagine that we convert at like 3%. So we need like, oh, like let's say 5%. So we need like 20 times that. So 5,000 times 20 for the traffic. It means that we had to bring a copycock.com to over 100,000 very relevant visits per month, or at least 100,000 visits to actually get these clients and retain all of them, which is not possible, which is very, very hard for this kind of like service. Like it's 100,000 visits. And then you factor in things like burn rate. and It's like this is very inapproximative, but it just gives you an idea. They probably get a burn rate of 20%, so you kind of need to make up for that, etc. Basically, it was a very, very difficult task to make this work. Uh, and because you can't expect 5% conversion rate on a blog post, you need 5% conversion rate on your sales, you make a blog, you need to, com- to calculate that, you know, maybe only 10% of that blog traffic goes to your sales page. So then that becomes like a million visits and so on. So yeah, that made it actually really not worth it in this market. There are easier ways to make money in this market. And that's why we decided to stop it. So how does this apply to authority sites? Other well, than I think the same principle works. Let's start, start yourself with a goal. So if you want to make a, a good one is $10,000 a month. And what do you actually need in order to, you know, what do you need to do in order to make $10,000 per month from your site? So think of the products you're going to sell or the ways you're going to monetize. And it can be a mix of affiliate products, maybe your own products, advertising, that kind of stuff. But figure out how much you can make from each one of those per transaction. If it's per transaction, then you still work backwards from there. What would a, con- a good or reasonable conversion rate be? then what kind of traffic can you get? That's when you start looking at keywords and competitors and this kind of stuff. And uh, really just bring it back. Spend to a the, day doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah at least. Doing that. And, and just bring it back from the end goal of, of how much money you make in order all the way back to the uh, the traffic, really. And look at how easy it is to get that the level of traffic you're going to need. It's, it's going to be quite obvious. Uh, I mean, the... If one projection says, oh, you need 20,000 and another projection says you need 22,000 visitors per month, I mean, that's that's not really what you're looking at here for. You're basically looking to discount anything which is unrealistic or going to be near on impossible to, to achieve. So again, don't worry about small inaccuracies in the data here. It's just uh, you're going to have to make some estimates. But yeah, and by doing that, you can quickly see whether you're about to enter into a market or a, a business which is just you don't really have any realistic chance of of making decent income from in in any reasonable amount of time yep all right let's jump 
jump onto point two, sorry. And point two is have a strategy beyond the next two weeks. And I think that has to do with the fact that because we were a software company back then, we were working using all these cool like agile systems, etc. And what happened, Mark? Okay, so we're very much into the this like sprint way of working in sprints, so like two week sprints of just really pushing to develop a new feature or a new system. And we plan it out at the start and then really like work quite hard and going back and forth with the developer or developers and getting that made. And that was great. There and, and that definitely has a has a place in, in any business. It was quite nice to see that feature just to life really quickly, just after we sort of imagined it. But the issue here was that our business kind of kept operating in these two-week cycles. And at the end of those two weeks, you and I would sit down and look at it and say, like, okay, what, what's our next move? What do we need to do next? And what do we need to build next? Honestly, and, I just think it was developing too fast for us to even plan properly. And even then, it was we never really updated our like long-term plan or a strategic plan. We're just always operating on this sort of tactical level. And because of that, and because obviously you have delays and development, and it's never 100% accurate, all of the marketing stuff, which, well, I mean, to be honest, we never really planned the marketing stuff at all until you know the, the, end, de- yeah. the development part was finished. It's like, oh, okay, people can now sign up? Great, let's think of, start thinking about how to market it now. There were various reasons for this. I mean, it wasn't just we were total idiots, although that's... We had an agency as well, right? But we were were working on a lot of other projects at the same time. So that was a mistake in itself, I think. So yeah, we never really planned out how the business would run or how we would grow it until the time came when we were ready to onboard clients. And had we done that, correctly or, or the other way around we would have been able to think of what we were, or plan what we needed to do and get all the marketing and these kind of activities rolling in advance so that it was ready we could just turn it on when uh, the development finished yeah i mean yeah it's just like we were not very good at like launching products by then yeah. it's like we were good at like doing that seo thing that we know etc like that was okay but actually like actively marketing to an audience we were not very good at it how does that help people building authority sites? Well, I, I see a lot of people have the, a similar approach. I call it the, the build it and they will come approach. And they assume that, okay, I'm just going to build a website about health or dating or something. And then they get involved, they start building the product, and they start making, you know, even in some cases, fairly good website, with fairly good content, information, even sometimes their own products and stuff. But they never really tie in the the marketing side of things. And they're constantly working on the next shiny thing, which they heard someone did well or or made a lot of money from because they they read it somewhere in some forum. And basically, the approach you take here is, is kind of a little bit different. It's more you need to, first of all, figure out what you're going to sell and how you're going to sell your, your product on, on your site. But also, whatever you're working on, you need to always come back at some point, and hopefully on a regular basis, and kind of have your overall strategy for. You need to answer the question like, yeah. how is that making money? Yeah. How is what I'm doing in the next two weeks contributing to my overall strategy of whatever that is, launching all these products and getting all these people to 
through these funnels or whatever it is. Not just, okay, I need to get on this Pinterest thing. Let's spend a couple of weeks doing that. But okay, so you're getting on this Pinterest thing, you're going to get traffic from Pinterest, then what? Like you it's need to one think thing of- I would see. Uh, I would see a lot with clients when we had an agency and with account managers that were managing the accounts. You know, so I was managing the account managers, and they would like start with their big plans, etc., on what they want to do for that site, etc. And then they would need to get approved by me. And then, like every single point, I'd be like, "Where's the money? Where's the money? Where's yep. the money?" And literally three quarters of the plans fell apart as I just kept asking that question for every single reply they gave me. So it's like, oh, we're going to do this Twitter thing. Why? Where's the money? Oh, because it's going to drive traffic to the blog. Oh, where's the money in the blog? Actually, we don't have an opt-in or something. I'm like, then there's no money. Don't do that. Fix the opt-in. Yeah, it's not just the though like, oh, where's the money? Because there will be some things you do for your business eventually that don't directly make money. It don't, not directly, but things, you need to explain how it ties back. Exactly. To, you know? And you need to always have that strategy for, okay, so if you're doing this part of it, then you need to at least do the part that generates the money next or preferably before. And I would say that is the reason why so many people make so little money with their site. It's because they are missing ground level foundation and they're walking on their roof yeah it's like yeah i'm good doing all these crazy tactics etc but then as soon as the traffic gets on their site there's literally no goal other than maybe signing up for the email list which is not monetized and then you're like well that like you don't need more traffic you don't need any of these shiny tactics you read on these online marketing blogs because everyone talks about traffic and nothing else you need to actually build a business behind that it really is what I think is the problem for people, actually. Yep. I think it's just a lot more easy to execute on these strategies. And Feels good, you know? If you see your traffic increase by 20%, you say, oh, okay, that's great. But if you're still under-monetized or not monetized or you don't have any proper funnels in place and all that kind of stuff, then it's pointless. You know? Yeah. So let's jump on the next point. And the next point is... Make sure you share more than business goals with the people you work with. And that one was also a painful lesson that made us get into some partnerships. And they felt pretty bad. So I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, so uh, when we were... Initially, we hired a developer to work on this. And that was great, or so we thought. But then he actually got headhunted by another company. So he went to work for them. So we were essentially without a developer for three months, I think. We were actually debating, you know, do we even continue the project? What should we do? But we really wanted to keep going with it. and But we still had this agency and we we're still working on our authority sites and all that. So, uh, and both you and I, we're, I mean, we're not developers. We don't really know the first thing about hiring a developer. Or how to, I struggle with CSS already, so yeah. Yeah, how to assess a developer, let alone here in Hungary where neither of us speak Hungarian. So we're like, okay, let's bring in someone and he can, you know, take care of this this problem for us. So that's exactly what we did. We we brought in another essentially co-founder or someone at our level who's, you know, spoke the local language and we thought had a good history of, you know, building teams, building development teams and software products and stuff. And everything was was good or we thought everything was good, but that person just did, really didn't have the same... He found the next developer, though. We need to give him credit for that. 
That's and, true. I do credit he that was more, really good. I do credit that more to luck than than, okay. than than anything. But I mean, that wasn't really the problem. The problem was having this person in at the sort of managerial level making these decisions and influencing the project in such a way, but who just was miles away from from us in terms of. Yeah, he had a different history. He was more like, like we were more like the internet marketing guys and he's more into like the startup scene. Yeah. I must say there is kind of like a, there's a big cultural gap between these two worlds hmm. and people view growth very differently. And, you know, in the startup world, it's usually very opulent. There is funding, usually like big rounds of seed funding for even if you don't have a concept or anything, although that is changing these days. But like money was... If you knew people in startups, money was never a problem, at least when you were starting off. You just had like one, two years runway. Pretty easy. Whereas online marketing people, they rarely get funding. They actually just fund themselves by making a profit. And so that makes us a lot more worried about our time, about the resources we spend in things, and we want everything to really move the needle, which I think is going to be one of the next points. And because of that, we had different attitudes towards things, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I keep using this term like throwing money or throwing equity at a problem to, to fix it. Like it doesn't, usually doesn't solve the problem. As a business owner, your main responsibility is to solve problems and bring in others to execute and scale on your ideas. And that's not what we, we did in that situation. We brought in someone else to solve a problem, which we didn't want to, couldn't, probably a combination of both those two things solve i'm sure if we really put our minds to it and put time and effort into it we could both solve that problem no problem yep but we didn't and we were lazy or tied up with Easy. other stuff or, or probably yeah probably lazy is the best <laughs> if i'm being honest so yeah with that result of us, uh, us having another co-founder who wasn't really committed to it in the same way that we were didn't really have the yeah. same vision. And I, just... I think the one thing that I want to say as well is because he was older, he had a family, he had a kid, he had everything, which is completely fine. But there was, even if we were on the same wavelengths, the fact that we had such different lifestyles, and I think that brings us back to the point of like share more than business goals with people. Even if we agreed on everything, there's no way he could put in as much as you and I mm-hmm. when we were both like without kids, without obligation. And we can just like walk on Sunday if we need, we can do all that stuff. And, and just when we brought him as an like equal equity partner, it just felt like we were getting a bad deal. Now also through a lot of like, like we just didn't feel so good about the whole thing. And that killed a lot of motivation, I would say. Yeah. But like how this applies specifically to authority sites is, is not quite the same. It's, I mean, I'm sure it happens, but it's not so common to have equity partners and, and stuff in, in, in authority sites in the same way. But the main point here was that we were throwing, in this case, equity, or it could just as easily have been money if we paid a high salary at a problem in order to fix or solve that that problem that we didn't want to solve ourselves. Now, I see this all the time with uh, content. Many people start a site and they don't they don't really want to get into the nitty gritty of you know the details the finer details they don't want to learn their niche first of all yes yes exactly and so what they do instead of instead of actually learning it and understanding it and figuring out solving the problems themselves 
is they throw money at it by hiring a very expensive content writer. And when I'm actually recruiting writers for Health Ambition, I come across these writers all the time. And yeah. they're, honestly, they're, they're average. Look, I'd say, to be fair, they're probably above average writers, but that doesn't mean they're great writers. They just, they know their topic and they can, they've convinced some website owner that they're some kind of mega expert when they're not. They're just a little bit above average in terms of writers in the, in the topic. And they charge a fortune, hundreds of dollars in some cases for. What's the most ridiculous proposal you ever got? I mean, someone said that they were going to charge $250 for a thousand word article on health admission. And their samples and examples were no better than anything we had on the site. Like there was no, nothing grand. And how much do we pay? Like, well, I mean, they were saying $250 for a thousand word article. Yeah. And we pay 60 something dollars for a 2,500 word article. Yeah. So yeah, like a magnitude more. It was, it was ridiculous. And it's just clear to me that these kind of site owners, they don't know what they're doing and they're just throwing money at the problem of someone who they, they think is a good writer to, to solve it. But it's not solving any problem. They're not getting good content. They are in some cases, but it's, it's poorly researched because the writers either can't do keyword research or someone else is doing keyword research, but they don't know the topic. So it's bad. It's just this like cycle of not knowing enough about your business. And, and taking these actions and thinking that throwing money at a specific area is just going to solve the whole problem when, in fact, it's your fault and your problem for not knowing your business and your market well enough. Yeah, it's like, uh, actually, this is a, I'm going to go quickly, but there was someone in the Atari Hacker Pro Group asking me that, like, what kind of KPIs do you give your writers and et cetera, et cetera. The truth is writers, their only job is to write content that gets approved by the editorial process. And you are responsible for how well your content does, for how well your site does. Even if you have an editor, it's your job to actually manage him and tell him this is good, this is bad. And his only job is to essentially take your guidelines and reuse them for the next time he has to make a decision for you. But you are responsible ultimately. And so that's basically it. And that totally got off the point of like, make sure you share the same business goals with people you work with. That's applied to it, certainly <laughs> if you're bringing in someone, like in the case of, let's say, an editor or something. But really, for me, it's more like throwing money at the problem doesn't solve it. You know, It's solved sometimes, but it's like kind of like solved with duct tape. Yeah. And it's, it won't last very long. Anyway, let's jump on the next point. And the next point is forget cool startup stuff and focus on grinding. And I think that is going to like get back to the point that I was making of the difference between startup people and online marketing people. And once again, I'll let you tell the story of how we learn that lesson. Okay, so we got, I can't even remember how it came about. I think they they outreached to us. They found us on somewhere anyway. I, I don't know what it was. But Angela, the, probably. Yeah, something like that. The next web, which is a startup event happened. They have one every year in Amsterdam. And I think they have a few others in different places, I'm not sure. But essentially, they approached us and like, we really like your idea. We want you to come and pitch at our our event. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. People are starting to take notice of our idea. That's quite cool. And then like, okay, but there's a application process. We had to fill in this 
long application form and we had to go through like two different interviews on Skype with people just to like present our idea. And then eventually they're like, okay, you're in, you're in the, you've made it through. And at that point they're like, oh, by the way, it's, uh, I can't remember how much it was, like 600 euros a ticket or something. You had to buy two. And we're like, oh, but, and then they're like, oh, well, but you could win 50,000 euros in funding if you, if you win the competition. And it was, I mean, basically the whole thing is just a big. It was a very well-made sales funnel. Yeah, it's a big sales funnel. When we got there, 90% of the other businesses were absolutely terrible. And there was a few... Give us an example. There was a guy who was literally walking around with like a tray around his neck. And he had this like lottery. And I can't remember the specifics of it, but basically it was just a lottery. And... That's revolutionary. Yeah, that was his his business idea. Amazing. It, it was ri- completely ridiculous. I must try and dig out the uh, the the site if I can still find it for the for the show notes. But yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, there are plenty of other just stupid ideas, and so we spent a few thousand euros on like traveling to go there and preparing for it and doing all this stuff, but it was just a massive distraction and time from what we were doing, and it, we got. Took Nothing. a week away from two out of three people in a company. Not even that, but you know, we were developing. We finished developing these things, which weren't really that important, just so we should, so we, so we could demo it. And it was <laughs> did, bullshit. Did we, we even demo it. to anyone? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, spent a good, good, solid day demoing to a lot of people. But honestly, they care? were they were just there, you know, because the company had sent them, and they were they were there for the free alcohol and. They're like, oh, that's interesting. And then walking on, what free swag can I get from the next one? Because yeah, it yeah. gives out the T-shirts and pens and stupid stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, can, I can feel the pain when you talk about it. Yeah. It was one of these things, like, as soon as I got there, I was like, okay. I then realized this was all like a massive scam. I like, all right, well, might as well make the most of it. But So you got the free alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't free, but yeah. Sure. So, what's the lesson? The lesson there is focus at least 95% of your energy and your time on activities that are going to move the needle for your business. There's always going to be these mandatory things, taxes and legal things you have to do, which you just have to do anyway. So, grin and bear it. But anything which is not going to move the needle, going to make you money, going to contribute towards making you money in the short to medium or long term, then don't do it or, or wait till later. And really, this is this happens so often with authority site owners. You get questions all the time about, oh, is my what do you think of this logo versus this logo? And I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. Just put a text logo up. You have zero visitors. Nobody's gonna care. Like work on that when you also like walking a- on the next blog post. It's like walking on the on your blog is kind of like a trap. Because eventually when you start getting some traffic to your site and you still don't have any kind of sales funnel, you don't have any kind of monetization in place other than maybe a few affiliate links here and there, which by the way, shouldn't be your only business model. It's like, you know, you you have the choice between working on figuring out how to do these info products things and how to do these funnels, etc. or working on the next blog post. And I see a lot of people focusing on the next blog post, the next blog post, the next blog post. And eventually... That doesn't do much. And another point I wanted to make, which is completely unrelated, is a lot of people ask us why we don't go to conferences a lot. 
And that is for that. It's because, to be frank, we have way enough tactics. We have easily two years of work in front of us without needing any more tactic from anyone. And we'd rather spend our time working on our sites, working on our communities, working on all that stuff, rather than going to events. The only case I would go to events probably is when I'll be a speaker. So if you want us to show up, you're going to have to vote for us. Yeah. And the other situation is that events are good for building relationships with people, but you don't really need to do that if you're building a website until really you get to a point where you have all your own products and you want to recruit affiliates and do that kind of, that kind of stuff. That's when it makes sense. Spending thousands of dollars going to MozCon or Traffic Conversion Summit or yeah. any of these these big ones, especially if you you know have to fly a long way to to do it, it's not worth it. To be frank, most, a lot of that them, content is on the put, blog after. Yeah, most of them put all the videos online anyway. So yeah, know. yeah. Unless you need to network to recruit affiliates, finding affiliate offers, or uh, whatever. Otherwise, you might as well just read the blogs. Eventually, they reuse all of that content. But let's jump on the next point because that podcast is getting really long. And the next one is hire help for hiring. So I'm not going to say more because I think it's pretty explicit. I'll let you tell the story. Okay. So as I mentioned before, Gail and I, we're not developers. We don't know the first thing about hiring developers. And we initially hired a developer who... He, I mean, he was a super nice guy and he was very talented in what he was doing, but he was not the right person for the job. He was like an AI guy. He was like a yeah. very smart PhD guy that yeah. could do really amazing things. Probably Google would love to hire that guy. Yeah. But we were building a pretty simple tool that didn't use any of his skills. Yeah. And he basically had to relearn or learn a bunch of things which he didn't know. And that in itself wasted a lot of time. And we essentially just spent a whole year getting to a point where the right developer could have got to in maybe a month or two. That's exactly what happened. Don't you remember? Like yeah. when this so, new guy came in. <laughs> there was about a three month gap when nothing happened. Then we got this new guy in. Then he looked at the code and he was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'm just going to rebuild this whole thing. Oh, wow. How long is that going to take? Not long. Like two weeks later, he was done. Wow. He got most of it in two weeks, but I think it was about a month before he rebuilt the whole thing. The thing that took us over a year to build so far. It worked much better. But the point was, in order to get this new guy, we actually went through a bit more of a robust process in, in hiring. Like One of our friends, who is a developer, very, very talented one at that, and we... We know that just because he's worked for some pretty big companies. And, and he's just one of those people you know is good. You just uh, don't understand anything when he speaks. That's when you know. Yeah. <laughs> we just asked him for help. I'm like, hey, can you uh, interview this this guy? Tell us if he's any good. And yeah, that would, that basically solved that problem. <laughs> yeah. And what, what do you do if you don't have a developer friend? You pay someone good. Uh, yeah. You pay someone even like very expensive, go on Upwork and find one of the, you know, someone who's $200 an hour, $500 an hour, something like that. But just hire them for half an hour, one hour, and they'll be able to tell you very quickly uh, the person's good or not. This applies a lot as well for authority sites. If you're, if you're not a native English speaker or you don't know a lot about the niche you're going into, then you can hire like a one of the top experts, usually for not that much money. And again, you only need to hire them for an hour, maybe two hours tops to really screen 
good few writers or whatever the, the, the role might be. And you'll have a much better understanding. And it's usually worth spending a little bit of money to do that rather than taking a chance and hiring the wrong person. Because if you just hire someone based on what their rate is or, you know, even in many cases, unless they have a lot of it, like their, their feedback scores on some of these sites, they don't really mean too much. Yeah. One thing that's cool as well is there's a site called clarity.fm where you can hire really, really smart people like CEOs of companies and so on, depending on their skills and you pay per minute. I would recommend you you look at that. So I think you can hire like Devon Rose from ProBlogger, et cetera, for, for the sites, for your sites. And take your candidate and like basically talk to them for 15 minutes, preparing them, maybe giving them a list of questions or whatever that you're going to go through. Then basically take 15 minutes after the talk and have them give you their feedback on what they think about that person. I think that that is a, a pretty cool way of doing it. Yep. Okay, let's just jump on the next point, actually. The, the next point is is an interesting one, and I think that that will apply directly to authority sites. And that is be a user before being an actor. And essentially what that means is don't jump into an industry you know nothing about. Like start subscribing to some blog, start getting to know it before you spend any kind of money, especially significant money, into actually becoming a provider in this niche. And once again, we have a little story for you on how we failed super hard on CopyCog. I'll give you the spotlight, Mark. Okay, so... As I mentioned at the start, we were producing some months, thousands of of blog posts every month. And we had in the past used many of the tools, Text Broker and iWriter and these kind of things. And we were not impressed. We were not impressed initially. But they did actually, in the two years we were working on this, they had in many cases, especially Text Broker, they'd gotten a lot better, both in quality and in features and because we essentially wrote them off and we were like, okay, that's shit. We're not going to... There goes our PG rating. What we have planned is much better than is much better than Text Broker. They suck. Let's, let's not give them any more attention. But actually, Text Broker had been building some pretty cool features, which we had planned to incorporate in our, into our tool, where, such as... The WordPress integration. The WordPress integration, and I think uh, a feature around... Building your own teams out of yeah. marketplace, right? And Copyscape as well. Yeah, yeah. Because we weren't monitoring this, because we weren't really paying too much attention to our competitors, we ended up doing a lot of things which they had already done and solving problems which didn't need to be solved. And that definitely sets back and pushes us in the wrong direction a lot and contributed towards the the overall failure of uh, of that company. So yeah, yeah. And the way it applies to authority sites, I think, is. Actually, yeah, become a reader, become someone that actually is part of the industry and knows it. And I'll tell you, most of the breakthroughs I make on health ambition these days is because of identified something a competitor was doing right. And I'm going to give you a very practical example. So you guys probably know that Neil Patel had this, had this case study side about, uh, on the same niche as health ambition. And I'm not going to say what he did, but I can tell that there are more than a few things that where he looked at our site to make really fast progress. But one thing he seemed to be doing better is we have this kind of like, we have different lead magnets that we offer through pop-up, et cetera. But we basically have a catch-all category where we have that offers for those articles that don't have any specific offer tied to them. And he seemed to be doing much better with opt-ins 
Danas, despite the fact that he had only one opt-in. So I started looking at his lead magnet concepts and I started testing some of them on our pop-ups just to see like if we can actually, if his concepts were actually better. And one of them actually like literally performed twice better than the one we had in place. And that's just because I started looking at the competition. And because like I am actually reading his site, I'm like trying to learn as well. And many other sites in the industry, just not just new battle, don't worry. But like being able to identify what your competitors do right and emulate that is 90% of the success, I would say, especially when you're in an industry where you're not inventing anything new, which will be most people. Yeah, and it's also just the, this whole concept of getting involved in the niche and like just being aware of everything that's going on, who's promoting which products, who's promoting their content in which way and which channels. And it's not just sort of reverse engineering what they do, but getting an idea from, oh, okay, I see such and such a person is promoting this juicing product on their email list. It's not that, oh, I should just copy that, but oh, why don't I email them and say, hey, ours actually converts better. Why don't you become an affiliate for us and promote us like that? So just like having your finger in all the pots or pies or whatever, whatever the That's disgusting. phrase is. I can't, I can't remember that. <laughs> I forget my English here, seriously. Uh, yeah, but basically just like being involved in everything that's going on and, and having like a pretty good overview of who's doing what in your industry gets you to that point. And it's quite easy, I think, especially when your start site gets larger and you start outsourcing a lot of activities to kind of lose touch with this and just assume that all your competitors are just going to be doing the same thing over and over again. And there's nothing to learn. There's always something you'd be learning from competitors, even sites which you think are terrible. I guarantee you they're doing at least one thing better than you are. Yeah, a lot of the things we do are inspired from other sites. It's like we, we do invent some stuff, but we also look at a lot at what people do. But without transition, let's just jump on the next and last point, which is actually going to be a, should have been transitioned properly, which is be the best at one thing and not a jack of all trades. And I think that is especially important when you're starting up and you don't have the resources to do everything well, like we did. And despite that, we still tried to do everything with CopyCog. And Mark, I'll let yeah. you tell the story. So... What we tried to do with CoffeeCog was solve all of the world's content production problems by building one single tool and do it all on day one. We had these very grand ideas, and I think that had execution and development been instantaneous, we could have come up with something really awesome. But that's perhaps just in our perfectionist nature. And we really lost, in trying to solve all these problems, we lost sight and we lost track of actually executing on this and actually being able to solve e even any one piece of the puzzle in a meaningful and efficient way. So we built our platform trying to do everything. And what we ended up was a platform that could kind of do most things, but didn't really do any of the things particularly well. Yeah, it's like there was no advantage of using it over Trello to manage your content, for example. Yeah. Like you could do exactly the same thing with Trello. It actually was a little bit more fluid. Yeah. So, less bugs. yeah. So that's the thing. It's like if you do one thing well, you won't get necessarily a big audience, but the people that are having this one problem, they will stick with you. And then you can just do the next thing well and the next thing well and eventually do like everything. But like, you know, that is after 10 years of development and a lot of money spent on it, not on day one. And that applies to authority sites as well. I think it's important that it's good to pick 
one topic and be really good at it. For us, we did juicing on health ambition. On authority hacker, honestly, we just were like, well, we can just do really deep advanced content. So that's what we focus on. We focus on advanced content, not newbie content on authority hacker and try to dominate that thing. And then that builds that kind of like audience that is looking for that after. And in terms of focusing, I would say also focus on one traffic source. So if you're doing SEO, then just focus on SEO. Don't worry about social media at the beginning. Don't worry about anything like that. If you're just doing Facebook ads, just fo focus on Facebook ads and so on. And additionally, focus on one monetization method and don't stop until you make several thousand dollars a month from that one monetization method. And once you have that, then you can diversify. But that's it, you know? Yeah I, think, I yeah, I think it's very important to like a lot of people look at health ambition and they just try and copy the site. Yeah. Don't don't do that. It's far too broad to uh of a site to be starting off with. What you want to do is really like focus on a subtopic or sub niche that you can really get into go into detail about and you can properly understand the needs of the users. You can focus on having one offer or one funnel rather. With Health Ambition, we have all these different funnels and it takes a lot of time to research yeah. them and build them and update them and all that. And just because the site's so broad. But if Health Ambition was just a juicing site, it would make so much more money because all of our traffic have one requirement and have one need. And we'd be able to really understand that much better and to serve it well. So, yeah. Yeah, if we had to do it again, we probably wouldn't. We just deal with it because we have it now and it's a profitable site still, so why not? Yeah. But if we had to start from day one and we could get all the money back, we might do it. Yeah, yeah. So on these wise words, I hope that you guys found this interesting and we try to like tie that back to authority sites. So a lot of these things talk about our software as a service company, but to be frank, a lot of these lessons have been used in our current projects and that's why we're doing a lot better now, actually. So thank you for joining. Mark, thanks for joining as well. Thanks. And we'll see you guys on the next podcast. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.